right, well, what's going on? Anything? Anything breaking? Any- oh, we're not getting any more Russian oil. That'll help gas prices. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110 and 993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And in fact, let me just go ahead and open up Outlook so I can get those emails. There we go. And I'm on Twitter at Pete Callender. So real quick, uh, the president says they're going to stop. We are going to stop importing any oil from Russia. And uh, this was interesting. Amy Walter, who is the publisher and editor in chief of Cook Political Report with Amy Walter. um, She sent out a couple of tweets about half an hour ago saying that she's she's confused. She says, I'm kind of confused by this whole It's a trap narrative out there. This is on the left, by the way. Okay, so this is sort of blue anon type stuff, conspiracy theories, that that Republicans bullied the Democrats and Biden into banning Russian oil and will now blame high gas prices on Democrats in the coming midterm elections. This is what folks on the left believe, that the only reason that the prices are going up is because of Russia. And now that Republicans bullied Biden into banning the Russian oil, now they're going to capitalize on that and hang it around the necks of the, uh, of the Democrats in the midterms, as if that's the reason, like that's, that's why the polling is so bad. It's going to be about the Russian gas price hikes. And look, by the way, I do recognize that the oil markets are, seriously impacted by what's going on in Ukraine. Absolutely. And the banning of Russian oil, even though it's like, what, 7 to 10%, I think, is the that's the range I've seen uh, of all of the imports that America gets. It's not a lot, quote-unquote, but it is still a lot, and that's going to have an impact when we ban it, especially if we can't replace it with oil from someplace else. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm thinking Venezuela, Saudi Arabia. Yes, try to find some more authoritarian regimes to buy oil from rather than Russia. I think, as I mentioned yesterday, there's a quota that we have to buy a certain amount of oil from the dictators. So um, this is what Blue Anon folks are trafficking in, that this is uh, all part of some grand plan uh, by the Republicans, which, like, the first question I have about that is, like, Grand plan, Republicans. Have you met Republicans? Anyway, they uh, they believe that there's some sort of a grand plan here that you bully Biden, get him to ban the oil, and now we get to uh, uh, beat the Democrats with that issue. But she raises this point. Isn't it also possible that one reason Democrats in Congress are also pushing banning oil from Russia is so... They can make the case that higher gas prices are a result of Democrats' decision to stand up to a tyrant and prevent any more American money going into the hands of Putin. That seems like a stronger case for Democrats to make on gas prices than one that focuses on supply chains. And that's the argument that I anticipate uh, seeing a lot of. I do. This is what they're going to start saying that uh, and and. Uh, Biden actually was asked, or he wasn't asked, well, okay, he was asked some questions, but he didn't answer any questions, but he did reference this very point 
in uh, his comments earlier today. Uh, he said the decision today is not without its cost at home. And he referred to it as Putin's gas hike. Okay, so they're already working on the messaging. It's already part of the narrative crafting. And the media will dutifully help him to do that. He goes on to say this is a step that we are taking to inflict further pain on Putin. And said there will be a cost as well here in the United States. And he said loosening environmental regulations and pulling back on clean energy investment spending quote, will not lower energy prices for families. No, of course not. Why would more of a supply of a thing reduce the price of that thing? No, that's just crazy talk. Let's listen to more of the uh, MMTers here. Um, And then there was this. Let me see if I can play this. this, Yeah, this is a clip. Um, This is from Curtis Hauk, Hauk, Hauk. That's how he pronounces that, I think. But, 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 it's no excuse to exercise excessive price increases or padding profits or any kind of effort to exploit this situation or, Amer- or American uh, consumers. Exploit them. Russia's aggression is costing oh, us all. And it's no time for profiteering or price gouging. I want to be clear about what we'll not tolerate. But I also want to acknowledge those firms and oil and gas industries that are pulling out of Russia and joining other businesses that are leading by example. This is a time when we have to do our part and make sure we're not taking we're not taking advantage. Look, let me be clear about uh, two other points. First, (laughs) it's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. No, that's why you cancel the Keystone Pipeline. That doesn't do anything at all to help with production or distribution or the energy industry. Not at all. Zero impact, right? Of course not. That's why you canceled it. Like, this idea that Democrats are not cool with high gas prices, where did that come from? Some consultants, I guess, advising campaigns because, as uh, this is from Larry Correa, who says... Mayor Pete, Jen Psaki, and Stephen Colbert. Yeah, because Colbert made some quote-unquote joke about this last night. Like, I'm fine paying way more in gas prices. Um, They're going to be kind of surprised when they discover that nobody actually makes electric tractors that we use to grow food. And the trucks that haul that food to their elite blue cities. There really is a disconnect here. There really is. And, And part of the problem is that uh, where is it? Eric Erickson was saying something. Yeah, if uh, if Democrats were less of an urban party than they are, they would understand how well increasing domestic oil drilling sells in the suburbs, exurbs, and rural America. But they barely know pickup truck drivers, let alone long-distance commuters. Uh, there was a friend of uh, my wife's. I met her the other day, and uh, she came and picked up some of our, our empire of boxes after our uh, multiple moves. And... She was saying she commutes over 50 miles a day each way. It's unreal. My dad did that for decades into New York City. This, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if, if Democrats are blind to it or if their consultants are like, just pay lip service. People won't really know that you're against it, you know. But man, I don't know how you're not going to get the brunt of the, uh, the gas price hikes at the midterms. I don't know how that happens. 
Speaking of gas prices. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, let's join it live, see if we can pull that thing up live. This is, Bo Thompson is over on our sister station, or WBTV, the television station. Radio Hall of Fame joining the likes of Grady Cole right. and uh, Charles Crutchfield and some of the major names that made radio in this country. Well, and a guy that uh, is no stranger to this TV station, Bob Lacey, who uh, back in the, uh, the 80s hosted PM Magazine. Uh, he's a big radio star in town now. I tell people he's on Act 3. Uh, of his <laughs> he career. really is. Because, yeah. John, what people don't realize is, or may not realize, and what I'm trying to shine light on is that Bob started his career in this building mm -hmm. for Jefferson Pilot Communications in 1972. And uh, people may remember the name Henry Bogan. Mm -hmm. Well, Henry did a nighttime talk show on WBTN as a Hall of Famer in his own right. But Bob was the first to ever do a nighttime talk show. And then he did so well at it, they promoted him to mornings with a guy named Harold Johnson. And for uh, the second half of the 70s, they dominated more. No, Dominated is right, so yeah. We're going to put him in the Hall of Fame where he belongs, uh, along with John Stokes, who was uh, a three-decade morning radio anchor, yeah. which you know him well. I uh, know him very, very well, but Zoki and Bob Lacey, That's we've right. run out of time, Bo. That's right. But we're going to put all this information on our website as well, WBTV.com. It's going to be terrific. Bo, thanks for stepping in here. All right, Thank so that was John Carter uh, interviewing our own Bo Thompson. All right, sorry, I cut off the, I cut off the banter joke at the end. I'm sorry. So unprofessional. By the way, tickets are on sale right now for the 100th anniversary celebration that they were just discussing. It's Saturday, April 9th, 7.30 p.m. at Halton Theater at CPCC. And uh, you can go to WBT.com for the tickets to WBT's 100th anniversary celebration presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. Um, Real quick, I saw this. Russia is now threatening to cut Germany and Europe off from its natural gas supply if the Western nations ban its oil exports. This is a piece by Charles Kim, but it's quoting a BBC report at Newsmax.com. According to the report, Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak warned that banning Russian oil exports would dramatically raise prices to $300 per barrel, and Russia could decide to cut Germany and other European nations off from the Nord Stream 1 natural gas pipeline. Yeah, it's a pr pretty big problem for Europe. Russia provides 40% of the natural gas to the continent, which is a continent, according, well, or is not one, I guess, according to Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, then there was, what was the other, ah, Rasmussen reports. Sorry, this was all, I, I was not aware that the president was going to be doing a speech. And so I'm driving in and I hear, oh, he's getting ready to come on the air. And then it was like, okay, but it's like at 1030 or something, 1015, whatever. Vince is on it. Vince is going to take care of it. He'll carry it live. And then of course, Biden does his Biden thing where I guess, you know, he's got to get juiced up with the uh, awake pills. And um, how long did that thing get delayed? Over an hour? Yeah. yeah, it was over an hour. So, right. So I'm just doing some cleanup here. But real quick, last point on the oil uh, situation. Rasmussen reports, should the U.S. increase oil production? Republicans, 87% say yes. Independents, 70% say yes. Democrats, 
55% say yes. So yes, it is lower. But even Democrats, hashtag even Democrats, even Democrats are on board with this. A majority of them. Um, but Biden's still holding fast to the uh, to the, the lie that none of his policies had any impact whatsoever on the gas prices. What is, all right, Tom. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. What's up? A quick, a quick question. Uh, I wonder with, uh, with Putin talking about nuclear weapons and honing his uh, arsenal, making sure they're ready, even Bailey threatening us with uh, possible bombs, uh, is somebody besides poor Joe Biden, is someone keeping uh, tabs on our nuclear arsenal, making sure they're ready to go in case, God forbid, we had to use them? They are always ready to go. They well, and, and Biden, you know, I just wondered... Well, I don't know about Biden. I mean, if you're asking for, like, is somebody, like, going down there and doing, like, required maintenance checks or something, I, I assume that stuff's happening. But they're always ready to go. Will they or won't they? I don't know. Like, that, that's – but that's the, the core mission. Um, and, I, I mean, I know that because I have a relative who worked in that area of defense and uh, in the military, in the Air Force, and – uh, I, like his job at one point in his career was they would get on a plane and they would just fly over uh, the country and just and the plane would one plane would go, would land and another one would take off and it was just a constant plane in the air to keep telecommunications up if a nuclear war broke out and they probably still do that they probably still have planes that just fly around ready to drop an antenna out the back um, so hey Tom I do appreciate the call I don't know if Biden is on the job. Uh, for that stuff. I don't know if he's doing any kind of specific prep, but they don't tell me these things. They keep me out of the loop for some reason. <music> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Beat Calendar Show. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. So... What did I do last night? I know this is the burning question on your mind right now. Pete, what were you doing last night? Well, it was Monday. And what does that mean? City council. That's right. I sat around. Well, I didn't actually sit around. I was uh, doing some stuff around the house, been doing some improvements, which actually, before I go there, let me uh, give you a programming update. Thursday, I will not be here because the Postal Service and the DMV are trying to erase me from history. So, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, what a mess. What a mess. So the house that we just moved into doesn't show up in the register that the Postal Service uses, which apparently everybody uses, every online platform uses. So I got to go down to DMV because I can't do a license renewal. And so I can't change my address. So I can't register to vote. I can't re-up my concealed carry. Yeah, I got all sorts of problems because of this. So I got to go down to DMV. I got to, I made an appointment, but the earliest appointments were like in April, mid-April. It's nuts. And uh, so then I, uh, but then Christy, lovely wife she is, she stalked the appointment system that DMV uses. So I guess somebody canceled. And so I got an appointment. So I got to go down there. 
because it's not going to get fixed unless I actually go into the DMV in person. And while I'm taking the day off, I'm going to go to the Postal Service, too. And I'm going to demand to speak to, I don't even know who. I have no idea who I should speak to. (laughs) But the last person I spoke to, it was a weekend guy, so I don't know if he knew everything. Because at one point, he he tried to, like, blame the city for it. And I was like, yeah, no, I know that's not true. But um, speaking of the city, I watched the city council meeting last night. And while doing that, I was doing some other stuff on the side, fixing up stuff around the house. And so uh, all of a sudden, like, they do these uh, committee reports um, where all of the different committees of the city council, you know, like economic development and, uh, well, I mean, the other ones. But anyway, they got a bunch of different committees. And they've changed names over the years, and so I don't remember them all off the top of my head. I mean, like, economic development and planning used to be all one then they split it in half but regardless they had their meeting last night and what is normally like this portion of the meeting where they just do a committee report and they sing the praises of staff and they sing the praises of the fellow council members who were on the committee with them the committee chairman's like we had great discussions and Look for this thing to come out in the future and oh and here's a little one page write up and you can read the write ups online But last night's committee report from the Intergovernmental Relations Committee, which sounds kind of icky, but this is the this is the committee that is supposed to be able to, you know, talk with and play nice with other governments like the General Assembly and uh, the county commissioners and Charlotte Mecklenburg School Board and the town of Matthews and Mint Hill and Pineville and, you know, all of these other governments. Intergovernmental Relations Committee. You never hear about this committee. Okay? It's just, it. you just don't. But last night, they spent over an hour arguing. And the two co-chairmen, Tark Bakari, Republican, and Braxton Winston, Democrat, seemed to insinuate that they got kneecapped in their effort to start consolidation talks with the county couple things to keep in mind. So, like, for example, you got Charlotte Mecklenburg Police. That was a product of the earlier consolidation effort that occurred, I don't even know, it was the 90s or something? I think it was the 90s. And there was some, there was some consolidation, and then there were some separations as well. So they weren't doing the same things. They kind of divvied up. The city and the county kind of divvied up uh, the responsibilities, which is why, and, and all right, so, You've got like Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, for example, right? CMS, that's a consolidated service. Um, CMUD, well, they don't call it CMUD anymore. What is it? Uh, Charlotte Water, I think they call it now, but it used to be called CMUD, Charlotte Mecklenburg Utilities Department. But the city got that. City took over that. Uh, Parks and Rec, the city gave that over to the county. They handled the county, or the county handles Parks and Rec, county handles Health and Human Services, and some of this stuff is dictated by state law. Um But a lot of these uh, uh, deconsolidation efforts for functional or operational consolidation took place uh, 30 years ago. Um, There is a separate question of political consolidation, okay? That is a separate question. That would mean consolidating Charlotte with Mecklenburg politicians, which creates like a super politician. I think it's like they become 
They become stronger than their individual parts. Like you create this Frankenstein of a politician when you merge the bodies together. Anyway, that's not, as far as I understand, that is not really being discussed. Although that is the fear because there's all all sorts of unknowns here. And you've got politicians that do not want to give up power. So, and and I'll hit on this. I think I mentioned this before too, that, County commissioners and people that work in the county over the since the first consolidation effort, there have been some kind of hurt feelings because there are some people over at the county in the past that kind of felt like the city got all of the cool services, all the all the revenue making ones. They got to control planning, water and sewer stuff. Right. And the county just got, you know, parks and rec, health and human services. But but then, of course, you know, COVID hit. And so now they're shining, right? Now they get they get a lot more control. And the thing I have learned in my life is that when people don't ever have any control and then, uh, you know, like a ref, uh, I'll use a soccer analogy. If you don't ever have the whistle, but then you give somebody or then you get the whistle from somebody and now you get to blow it, you tend to blow the whistle a lot. You know, it, it just it's something about like you have this power and now people like to use it. They have that control over others. And I think a lot of folks in the county kind of grew into their role as mini authoritarians during the pandemic. A lot of people kind of just put that coat on and, oh, look at that. Fits kind of nicely. Or should I say a ring? Better with a ring analogy? I don't know. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So the Charlotte City Council last night, during their committee reports, and by the way, I do have audio from this debate because it got a little awkward. During the committee reports, the two co-chairmen of the Intergovernmental Relations Committee, Braxton Winston and Tark Bukhari, brought up their interest in city-county consolidation. This is, by the way, the report from Emma Withrow at Fox46.com, Queen City News. Bakari and Winston wanted their committee to examine all areas of responsibility that overlap or are duplicated between the city of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. But as I mentioned earlier, this entire discussion is fraught with peril because you got a lot of different people with competing interests. They're trying to protect their power, their little fiefdoms. you got the bureaucracy going, which, by the way, yes, I did get your message from uh, Tim. He said, oh, Pete, we shall call Thursday... Pete's adventures in bureaucracy, and you must live tweet the entire experience dealing with the post office and the the, uh, DMV. Yeah, I'm going to be on bureaucratic overload. So last night, the city council, during this report, um, let me see here. Braxton and Tarek Bakari, now I'm reading from my notes. Co-chairs of the, uh, they were looking at potential areas of consolidation. The full council got a report from the IG committee about two hours before their meeting last night, for about two hours, he said the full council needs to approve. This is uh, Braxton Winston. And he moved for the full council to approve moving forward because it's going to require significant staff time, which means they need the council to approve what the committee drew up. Precisely because it's going to require more work. And and that language is... Uh, The Intergovernmental Relations Committee will examine all areas of responsibility that are currently duplicated or divided between the city of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. 
The goal is to identify ways to cooperate with other local governments to achieve greater levels of efficiency and effectiveness. The committee will engage the city attorney's office to identify legal factors that the committee and city council will need to consider when discussing potential changes and the committee will utilize committee staff resources and department, and department personnel to conduct the evaluations. The committee will complete the first phase of work by June 2022 while providing periodic updates to the mayor and the council via the city council committee report process. All right, pretty benign, right? That's what the committee recommended. Okay. Now, Tark Bakari said there are a lot of opportunities for potential consolidation that should be examined. Permitting. Think about how many times we hear from our constituents going through the pain points of disjointed permitting process, let alone how much it adds to um, uh, cost and hurts the affordability of housing. Medic being separate from the budget organizations of fire and police, um, economic development, the list goes on and on. Um, we've made progress here. And, and while there's a lot to go, um, we've been facing headwinds the entire time on this. We were pushed back from doing it early on. We first it, forced it to be referred to a committee a month ago. But when we convened, staff presented an approach that had been changed from what we had set out to do. We were very confused about that. Whoa, what? We were able to get back on track in the committee meeting by crafting in real time language that would enable us to work with urgency and in a structured manner, but not setting out to unilaterally define what the other bodies should or could do. Headwinds? What sort of headwinds are you speaking of? Staff reworking the initial charge into something else, you say? So the language that you heard Winston read first, that was approved unanimously in the committee. But that is not what the city council was first given. What happened next? We got an email from the chair of the county commission saying it was a bad idea, which was very odd since Braxton and I had been working uh, with two of the county commissioners and their IRC staffer, as well as the same for the school board. Then, magically, our committee-approved language uh, for council vote tonight disappeared from the agenda. What? And a new summary was provided that was watered down and, and said, we just keep working on it and update the mayor and council. Hmm. Not only was what we decided on completely changed in the agenda, the commission chairman's email was included as the second attachment to tee up our conversation tonight. Is that a coincidence? I'll ask my council colleagues this. Who has the power to do these kinds of things behind the scenes? Does it remind you of any of the other things we've been going through over the last year? And here's how I'd answer my own question. The mayor has the power to do those kinds of things, and it sure feels a lot like the mayor's racial equity initiative happening yet again. End of report. That is quite, quite the accusation. So here's Bakari, just both barrels here on, <laughs> on the mayor. And look, the mayor controls the agenda. And so how does that stuff happen? How do you go from a committee with a unanimous vote on language that's pretty benign? You've been doing some work. You've been talking to a couple county commissioners, a couple of school board members, looping in some uh, uh, some uh, some lobbyist type people, getting everybody kind of, you know, OK with just talking. We're just talking. Leave your guns, you know, outside the door. Um, but everyone's just talking. And then all of a sudden, George Dunlap throws a grenade under the table. I know I'm, I'm using a lot of war imagery. It's not intentional. I'm sorry. But 
he throws a grenade under the table, basically, with this letter that he wrote. And in the letter, which was attached to the agenda packet, which why would you be including that in this discussion? Unless, of course, you think that that is a, uh, an important part of it. Um, the language gets rewritten and the, the letter arrives and it contains things that Bakari says were discussed but not approved in the committee. So somewhere, somehow, George Dunlap, County Commission Chairman, has gotten an idea of what the Charlotte City Council wants to do. And he shut it down saying the board is not, the county is not interested in that. Now, what do I do on Tuesday nights? I know this is your second burning question. First, it was what does Pete do on Monday nights? Second is what does he do on Tuesday nights? Tuesday nights are county commission meetings. I watch those too. That's how I get this audio. I have not seen, unless I blacked out or something during a bout of heavy drinking, because that's also part of, no, I'm kidding. But the, the, I've not seen the county commissioners take any kind of a formal vote on whether or not to join or to say no to any talks about consolidation. So who was Chairman Dunlap speaking for? Now, Dunlap's an opponent of consolidation. He does not want to see any more consolidation. I think he probably wants more power. But he wrote this letter. And so what Bakari is alleging is that the mayor had talks with Dunlap to kneecap the committee work. She'll respond up next.